www.blakeradio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, I'm to start your day. It is Monday, the 7th of August. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us in every time and place. Let us pray for the gift of an open heart. Today we hear your voice, O Lord. You have spoken to us through your prophets. Teach us to hear and heed your word. You have spoken spoken to us through your Son and word. Teach us to hear and love your word. You have spoken to us through the teachers of your church. Teach us to hear and keep your word. O God, you have spoken your word of love, your Son, into our world's deafness. Open our ears to hear, open our hearts to heed, open our will to obey, that we may proclaim the good news with our lives. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Lockman at the controls, and up this hour, we start as we start every week, which is uh, with a look at this week in Catholic history, and Kevin Schmeising will be along with that. More thoughts on AI and the Catholic Church with Father Philip Loray from Humanity 2.0. Father John Gavin will look at what St. Augustine has to say about the Church as a pilgrim. And then Dr. Paul Thigpen will look at the great tradition of Catholic historical and theological reflection as it applies to aliens. Yes, aliens. Believe it or not, we are not the first generation of Catholics to reflect on this question. It goes way on back. Right now, though, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after his nearly week-long pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. Yesterday, during his Angelus address, he announced the next World Youth Day will take place in Seoul, South Korea. The Pope celebrated the World Youth Day closing mass ahead of that Angelus address for the Feast of the Transfiguration. An estimated 1.5 million people attended the mass at a riverside park in Lisbon. In his homily, the Holy Father called on the young people to shine, to listen, and to be unafraid. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. We too need light, the Pope said, a burst of light that is hope to face so much darkness that assails us in life. That light, he explained, is Jesus, because he is the light that does not go out, the light that shines even in the night. And we, in turn, the Pope continued, become luminous. We shine. When welcoming Jesus, we learn to love as he did. Pope Francis noted the words of God the Father to the apostles, commanding them to listen to his beloved Son. It's all here, the Pope said, all that is to be done in life. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Every secret is there. He explained that if someone is unsure about what God is saying to them, they can read the Gospels to hear what Jesus says and listen to what he says in their hearts. Jesus has words of eternal life for us. He reveals that God is the Father and he is love. Jesus teaches us the path to love. 
Finally, the Holy Father reminded his youthful listeners of the last words of Jesus to his disciples during the Transfiguration. Get up and do not be afraid. The Pope acknowledged the fears of young people who have great dreams but fear they might not come true, who may be tempted by pessimism or discouragement, or who feel that their efforts are in vain. But he nonetheless encouraged them, saying it is good for them to want to change the world, to fight for justice and peace. The world needs you, the Pope said, like the earth needs rain. And he invited each of them to repeat silently in their hearts, do not be afraid. I'm Christopher Wells. The Holy Father is back in Rome now. He paid his usual visit to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to pray before the icon of the Salus Populi Romani to give thanksgiving for his trip. Here in the United States, severe weather is in the forecast for parts of the Midwest and the Northeast throughout the day as we start the work week. The National Weather Service says there are increasing threats for thunderstorms and heavy rain as far south as Tennessee. States like Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, and Kentucky faced a threat of damaging winds and large hail yesterday. Meantime, several tornadoes were reported on Saturday across Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, and Nebraska. Forecasters say the severe weather is making its way into the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. A federal judge is giving former President Trump until the end of the day to respond to special counsel Jack Smith's motion for a protective order. Trey Thomas has more. Smith filed the motion Friday after Trump posted on Truth Social, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Trump pleaded not guilty Thursday to criminal charges connected to his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Smith wrote in his filing that public posts by the former president about the case could have a harmful, chilling effect on witnesses. I'm Trey Thomas. And the reigning two-time defending champions have now been eliminated from the Women's World Cup. The U.S. was sent home following a penalty shootout loss to Sweden in Melbourne, Australia yesterday. Following a scoreless regulation, the U.S. was outscored 5-4 to four on penalty kicks. After three straight makes to begin the shootout, the U.S. missed three of its next four. The loss marks the worst finish ever for the Americans at the Women's World Cup. The previous worst finish was third place. Wait, their previous worst finish was only third? Yeah. Wow. I know, right? Man. Kind of crazy. I guess so. So, you know. I, uh, you know, I, I really, I, I, there are a lot of sports that people try and get me to pay attention to this time of year, but really it's just baseball for me. I know. I understand. I understand. And this was, stuff. I mean, Australia really threw me off. I have to admit, the I'm I'm usually a big women's world, well, any World Cup, men or women. I love watching international soccer, and the timing of these games. It was either like late at night or really early, early in, the in the morning, and I just I didn't get to watch much of anything. If I wake up early in the morning anyway. and my family's not awake, I'm gonna like read or something exactly i'm window. not turning on that's a soccer my game i'm totally with you it's when i get my work done there you go <laughs> well hope you're getting a little work done and now that our radio show is on now i mean you could focus on some of these things there we're glad go. that you're along with us it is monday the 7th of august seven minutes past the hour
It is time to take a look at this week in Catholic history. Kevin Schmeezing here to do that with us each week, as he has done now for closing in on two decades. Kevin, good morning. Have I been around that long, Matt? Good morning. Uh, I mean, it feels like as we're talking about this history, one of these dates is going to have to be uh, Kevin Schmeezing joins the team of the Sunrise Morning Show. (laughs) (laughs) That, That could be down the road at some point. It could be down the road. But let's talk about the assassination of an Ecuadorian president. Yeah, we've got kind of a grim theme this week, assassination and murder, but ultimately edifying lives, so hopefully upbeat at the end of the day. Gabriel Garcia Moreno was born in Ecuador in 1821, the youngest of eight children in a devout Catholic family. Ecuador, like most of Latin America, was largely Catholic, but there were also strong secular, or in the language of the day, liberal elements. Ecuador achieved its independence from Spain a few years after Garcia's birth. Garcia drifted from his faith and into liberal politics during his university days, but during a period of time spent in France, he returned to the practice of Catholicism, and he also turned against the liberal political ideology that was giving rise to revolutions across Europe at this time. So he returned to Ecuador. He was elected senator, then president in 1861. He was elected again in 1869 after a few years out of office and then re-elected in 1875, shortly before his death. He was both a conservative and a reformer politically. He fought political corruption and streamlined the government. At the same time, he sought to strengthen the cooperation between church and state. So, for example, he arranged for the consecration of the nation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and he signed a concordat with the Pope. Freemasons were active in Ecuador as part of the liberal political movement, and they were vocal opponents of Garcia. As you can imagine, they were enraged by his 1875 re-election, and he seems to have had some intelligence concerning the plots on his life. He alluded to this in a letter to Pope Pius IX, where he said, I have more need than ever of the divine protection so that I may live and die in defense of our holy religion and the beloved republic, which I am called once more to rule. August 6th, 1875 was the Feast of the Transfiguration. Garcia was attacked by a group of Freemasons. At least one biographer says it happened on the porch of the cathedral in Quito. Just after the president exited the church, most accounts say it was on the steps of the National Palace. In any case, Gabriel Garcia Moreno died at the hands of assassins that day. His last words reportedly, God does not die. August 6th, 1875. Pretty wild story. And we go from an assassination by Freemasons to an assassination, essentially, by the KKK. (laughs) Tell us about this one. Yeah, exactly. Father James Coyle in Birmingham, Alabama, August 11th, 1921. Matt, I first came across this story back in 2011 when Oxford University Press published Sharon Davies' book, Rising Road, A True Tale of Love, Race, and Religion in America. One of the book's chief characters is Father James Coyle. Coyle was born in Ireland in 1873. After ordination in Rome in 1896, he came to the U.S. to serve the Diocese of Mobile, Alabama. In 1904, he was appointed pastor of St. Paul's Church in Birmingham. In that capacity, he got to know a young couple who were planning to marry, Ruth Stevenson and Pedro Guzman. Pedro was a Catholic immigrant from Puerto Rico who some in the race-conscious community perceived to be black. Ruth was the daughter of a Methodist minister who was also a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You can see where this is going, all the hot-button conflicts of the early 20th century South. Ruth decided to convert to Catholicism, and Father Coyle received her into the church. He also agreed to marry the couple a few months later. This was all done secretly because Ruth knew that her father was violently opposed to both steps. But Pastor Stevenson did get wind of it a few hours after the private marriage, early in the evening on August 11th, this week in 1921, in broad daylight with multiple witnesses. 
Stevenson approached Father Coyle, who was sitting on the porch of the rectory, and fatally shot him. The defense attorneys, among whom was future Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black, successfully argued for a not guilty verdict on the grounds of temporary insanity. One juror refused to vote for conviction, and Stevenson went free. It was a signal of anti-Catholic and anti-Black sentiment in Alabama, but some argue that this case began to turn the tide as the blatant miscarriage of justice turned public opinion against the Klan and its sympathizers. This year, as always, a memorial mass will be celebrated in the cathedral in Birmingham, and the Father James Coyle Memorial Project continues to keep alive what it calls the priests call upon others to sacrifice on behalf of the faith and the dignity of every human being. Father James Coyle this week, 1921. Yeah, shooting a Catholic priest in cold blood on the rectory porch is not exactly an act of heroism, even for people who are upset at that kind of, uh, you know, affront to their perceived values. But my goodness, what a story. Uh, what a couple of stories this week in Catholic history. Kevin Schmeising, we've got you. Uh, we've got your book, uh, Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, as well as the Catholic History Trek podcast linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right, let's check on weather for the nation today. Rain showers and thunderstorms likely along uh, and east of the Mississippi River today. Repeated rounds of moderate to heavy rain expected across the Midwest, Ohio Valley, and Northeast. Strong to severe weather also likely over a large portion of the eastern U.S. The mid-Atlantic into the western Carolinas and north Georgia will have the greatest chance for dangerous thunderstorms. There will be a good chance for showers and thunderstorms across the interior, northwest, northern Rockies, and high plains. A few potent thunderstorms could also form along the front range and the central high plains. Parts of Arizona and New Mexico could have some showers and thunderstorms developing this afternoon into the evening. We're back with headlines right after this. It's 13 minutes past the hour. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. 
You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. 16 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after his nearly week-long pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. He returned after celebrating the closing mass on the Feast of the Transfiguration. The Holy Father has announced that the next World Youth Day in 2027 will take place in Seoul, South Korea. And severe weather is in the forecast for parts of the Midwest and Northeast throughout the day today. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I just want to say that Pope Francis vindicated Gary Machuda and I on the plane flight home. Yeah. Um, there were some questions about uh, various ideologies swirling around and what he thought about some of these things. And he said, these are not, this is not an ecclesial way of talking about it. This is Gnosticism. Yes. And I was like, that's what Gary and I were saying. <laughs> Actually, um, he so, must be listening to the he Sunrise must be Morning to Gary Show. Wow. But no, uh, the maybe idea he of read Revolta re- against reality. Maybe he was reading Gary's book. The idea being that when we couch all kinds of things in human beings and their drives and trying to re-identify and repurpose male and female based on spiritual perceptions of ourselves rather than bodily realities of ourselves. Mm-hmm. At any rate, only about, I think, a tenth of the people he was talking to understood it, and probably like a tenth of a tenth of a percent of the internet understood it. Oh but I just want to yeah. say that this is what Gary and I were talking about. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Well, congratulations. Well done. It must feel good when you it's know It's nice when the Pope, Pope is, listens to me. Yeah, when the Pope is listening. Just kidding. I, I myself was listening to the early church. So imagine and a little that. bit of Gary Machuda. Imagine that. So Anna Mitchell, I wanted to uh, to do a little catechesis this morning based on some stuff we talked about in a uh, a class I'm doing at my parish. Oh, okay. We're kind of explaining the mass. Hit me. Doing a summer class on understanding the mass, and we got into speech act theory yesterday. Speech. You ever act mess around theory? No, I'm speech... not familiar. Okay, so speech act theory is the idea that. You can say something, and then it becomes true by virtue of you having said it, which is different than kind of sort of like saying something as a recognition of a reality, but Sounds not being like able to. Sounds like nominalism. Well, no. No? It is not nominalism. Okay. What? Okay. Explain so the difference. So nominalism would be I look at a blue ha- – uh, well, acknowledging the reality of something we are saying, I look at a blue house and I say that house is blue. Right. Nominalism would say – Blue is just a random thing that you made up and a concept that you make up. I can say the blue that the blue house is actually red because according to my reality, I right. use different terms to Well, right. I thought that speech act theory sounds like nominalism. No, no? speech act theory is okay. real and you use it all the time. Oh, okay. So for instance, if I go up to Paul Lockman and I say, "Paul Lockman, you're under arrest." Mhm. Nothing really happens. I mean, I could probably citizens arrest him, but then we both end up in court. We dispute the nature of what I did and whether it was legal. Okay. But if a deputized officer of the law comes in and says, you're under arrest, actually you're actually under something. arrest. Right. Like, right. it happens. They have the authority to do it. Likewise, if uh, if you and I and Paul Lockman are watching our beloved Cincinnati Reds and somebody tries to steal second base— and uh, our catcher throws him, and it looks pretty close. You and I can yell at the screen and say, he's out. 
But only the umpire can look at the guy and say he's out, and it actually occurs. Right, right, okay. By virtue of his authority. Sure, okay. I say all that to say that that's part of the thinking behind, like, what is happening at the Mass, because you and I can say what we want about the Eucharist, but a priest ordained through apostolic succession and invested in the authority of Christ through virtue of his bishop who was touched by somebody who was touched somebody mm-hmm. all the way back to the apostles, he can say, this is my body at the Eucharist, and it happens. Yeah. Because he's been properly ordained and given the authority to say so mm-hmm. in ways that you and I never could. Yeah. Those hands are special. There so is that's a speech, speech act. act theory. Yes. Interesting. I don't know. If, I've never heard of that before. In this case, it's more like speech act law. Right. But yeah, that's true. All right. Just think. Of, think I don't it. have enough time to tell you why nominalism came into my head when you first said that. But I apologize for any confusion that I might have caused because of it. That's all right. Maybe we'll, maybe Pope will get asked about nominalism on his next plane ride. Season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Accept, O Lord, this appeal for pardon wrung from our afflicted and repentant souls. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for public scandals and evil living, for all who corrupt thy little ones, for crimes in families, the sins of parents and children. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for those who traffic in public crime, for those who lead and lure souls to eternal damnation by riches and corrupt literature, for those who excite evil passions by immodest fashions. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for all attacks against our Holy Father, the Pope, for all organized disobedience against Holy Mother, the Church, for all weak and straying souls, for sinners who resist grace, for all abuse of the sacraments, or any outrage against the Holy Eucharist. Amen. Sunrise Morning Show continues. We are glad that you're with us here on this Monday, the 7th of August. Man, August is flying by. But uh, we're glad that you're making your August line up with our August and our discussions that we're trying to have here to wake you up in the morning. Father Philip Luray now joins us, and he is with Humanity 2.0. He joins us from Rome. Good morning, Father. How are you? Good morning, Matt. Doing great. So we talk all the time on this radio show about the family as the basic 
unit of civilization, the domestic church, all these kinds of things, and lament you know declining population rates in the developing world. But now there's a new AI app that is allowing people to see what their potential children could look like. And there are, I guess you could say, good and bad things about this. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you could, share a little bit about it. This new app is a, uh application of an AI which has been used in Facebook uh, for a couple of years now to keep somehow keep dead people alive in the sense it will take all of their digital information and then it will extrapolate that through the AI and enable you to converse with a person who has passed away. Uh, it's also, I think, at the base of deep fakes. Deep fakes are uh, videos which are completely uh, unreal, but they look and and they uh, and they, they they hear as if it was the real person. Um, a couple of months ago, there was a <clears throat> um, artificial intelligence image of Pope Francis with a large parka coat uh, that that hit that became viral, and a lot of people were. Looking, of course, it was completely false, but it looked just like Pope Francis. So what the application is doing is uh, taking information that you give it and extrapolating upon that to give you what your future child may look like. And so um, it's fake, but it has actually fooled a lot of people and uh, well, or fooled. I mean, they know that it's they know it's not real, but it seems to be real. And there's even one uh, woman quoted in the article where she says she really wanted to be a mother after using the app. So, you know, I think there are good things to it. Uh, They're interacting in in, in intimate ways with human beings, uh, but we have to be careful because it's false. And so it's, it could give us false expectations. Right, and uh, this is one of those areas where the church is actually a few steps ahead in, in, in having thought through some of these things and being able to, to be a little bit more flexible in the conversation because we want people to not think of the idea of having children and just think about, well, it's going to cost this much money, <laughs> right? Or it's going to you know, cause this many sleepless nights or it's going to have this effect on my continuing education if I have children, all right? Or it might have this effect even on my... Uh, my body, or, or or all these things that you know people tend to think about when they think about kids. You know, I know people who they see one kid acting up in a restaurant, and they're like, "That's why I'm never having kids." Yeah, in the parish, I accompany a lot of uh, uh, young adults that become parents, and most Italians wait uh, longer than than you would expect, and for many of the reasons you just gave. But not one couple has told me uh, uh, that we were glad we waited. All when they when the baby arrives, they all say to me, "Why did we wait so long? This is the happiest thing that ever happened to us." Sure, it's a life changer. Uh, but the uh, what they, what they don't understand is the actual reality of a new baby, and especially fathers when they hold that baby in their arms for the first time. I mean, they just they lose it. It's and, and so I I continue to try to motivate my couples to say, don't wait, you know, uh, having a child is going to be one of the most important things that you do for your family. 
Well, I know people who say, we're going to wait till we have enough money to have a child. I'm like, you will never have enough money. No. <laughs> <laughs> you will never have it. It's not going to work. Uh, but the, the the flip side of this, I want to get into the, the ethical kind of um, minefield that, that this can bring us into is because family life and child rearing and child bearing is like a messy process. And you may be able to do this as a way of saying, oh, maybe I should think about having kids and holding someone who is like, you know, a little bit like me, but also their own person and all that, you know, the, the mystery that entails. Uh, but this kind of, you know, you can see approaching this app with the wrong mentality and getting into kind of like a designer children mentality and saying, I want a yeah. child that's beautiful. I want a child that's this. And, and we know how often in the developing world, especially, or I'm sorry, in the, in the, you know, kind of first world, as it were, people will, you know, go and seek abortions for like the tiniest imperfections, uh, you know, that, that show up on an ultrasound. And so there's a real danger here as well, right? Yeah, but again, Matt, you know me. I, I don't. I don't blame the technology. I. I, I right. think There are other issues at, at heart, uh, but we've been struggling with the concept of de designer babies uh, for a long time since um, the advent of IVF, right? And 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 so we we have you know and and Cardinal Ratzinger wrote that uh, great. Uh, I don't know what to call it, it, it. A magisterium document called Donum Vitae. Uh, in, in 1990, where he talks about a lot of these technologies, and that still, even though it's what it's 30 years ago, it's still a valid document today in terms of the theology behind it. So we we have to accept the uh, the children that God gives us, you know, um, and and I think that there, as the technology gets better, there is going to be the temptation of of you know designing exactly how we want our children. Uh, but we need to have faith in God and and in and in nature, so to speak, and accept the gifts that uh, He gives us. Yeah, you, that's a great check on not uh, not blaming the technology. You can go to a street artist and have him look at you and your spouse and you know caricature a baby for you without any robots involved right. whatsoever. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, great stuff, Father Philip Luray. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Goodbye, Matt. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after his nearly week-long pilgrimage to Lisbon, Portugal for World Youth Day. The Holy Father celebrated the World Youth Day closing mass in Lisbon on the Feast of the Transfiguration. An estimated 1.5 million people were in attendance as he reflected on the Transfiguration in his homily, the Holy Father called on young people to shine, to listen, and to be unafraid. During his Angelus address before leaving Lisbon, the Holy Father announced the location of the next international gathering for World Youth Day. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. in Asia, in Korea del Sur, in Seoul. Moving from the western edge of Europe to the Far East, Pope Francis highlighted an expression, thank you, or rather, obrigado. Gratitude, therefore, was the core value of the Pope's Angelus message after the Holy Mass concluding World Youth Day in Lisbon. Obrigado, non solo expresa la gratitud, 
that obrigado not only conveys a sense of gratitude for what we have received, but also the desire to give in return, the Holy Father explained, highlighting how much each pilgrim has received in this grace-filled event. Now, as we return home, the Lord makes us in turn feel the need to share and to give, to bear witness joyfully and eagerly to the good that God has poured into our hearts. He also dedicated the reflection to all those who were not able to attend the event because of wars, expressing his great sorrow for the beloved Ukraine and sharing his dream of young people praying for peace, living in peace and building a peaceful future. Before concluding his address, Pope Francis invited young people from all over the world in Rome for the Jubilee and announced Seoul, South Korea, as the next World Youth Day site. The event will take place in 2027. The final obrigado, the greatest one, was to the Lord Jesus and to the Blessed Mary, our Mother. They have been here with us and they are always with us, Pope Francis concluded, never losing sight of our lives and they love us like no one else. Obrigado a ti, Señor Jesús. Obrigado a ti. Maria, Madre Nuestra. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. On Saturday, Pope Francis made a pilgrimage within his pilgrimage as he visited the shrine at Fatima to pray with the sick. On his flight back to Rome, the Holy Father told reporters, quote, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed to Our Lady and I prayed for peace. I did not advertise this, but I prayed. And we must continually repeat this prayer for peace. She made this request during the First World War. And this time I appealed to Our Lady and I prayed. I did not advertise, end quote. The Holy Father is back in Rome now. He paid his usual visit to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to pray before the icon of the Salus Populi Romani to give thanks for his trip. In the United States, severe weather is in the forecast for parts of the Midwest and Northeast throughout the day today. The National Weather Service says there are increasing threats for thunderstorms and heavy rain as far south as Tennessee. Meantime, several tornadoes were reported on Saturday across Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, and Nebraska. Forecasters say the severe weather is making its way into the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. An attorney for former President Trump is expecting an indictment from a Georgia district attorney within the next few weeks. Mark Mayfield reports. Speaking on Fox News Sunday Morning Futures, Elena Haba accused Fulton County DA Fannie Willis of wanting to have her moment. Haba says Willis is getting on the bandwagon with who she called the rest of the corrupt district attorneys and attorneys general who have indicted the former president. Trump is being investigated for his role in allegedly trying to overturn Georgia's results in the 2020 presidential election. I'm Mark Mayfield. The last former Minneapolis police officer charged in connection with George Floyd's 2020 murder will be sentenced today. Tu Teo will be in court today to find out his punishment after he was convicted of aiding and abetting manslaughter. He is the fourth of the officers charged and is already in prison on a three and a half year sentence for deprivation of civil rights. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. True humility does not make a show of itself, and hardly ever speaks in a humble way, not only because it wants to hide the other virtues, but most of all because it wants to conceal itself. Therefore, if it were lawful to lie, dissemble, or scandalize one's neighbor, humility would perform acts of arrogance and pride, so that it might conceal itself beneath them and live completely hidden and unknown. Here, then, is my advice. Do not utter words expressing humility unless you can say them from the bottom of your heart. Let us not make a show of wanting to be the last if we do not want to be that in reality. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Father John Gavin is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Good morning. So we're continuing our dive into the Church Fathers in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we've been in this section of the Catechism talking about the Church herself, the Church's origin, foundation, and mission. And today we're going to be talking about an aspect of this with the aid of St. Augustine. So here is paragraph 769. The Church will receive its perfection— only in the glory of heaven at the time of Christ's glorious return. Until that day, as St. Augustine quotes, the church progresses on her pilgrimage amidst this world's persecutions and God's consolations, end quote. It goes on, here below she knows that she is in exile far from the Lord and longs for the full coming of the kingdom when she will be united in glory with her king. The church and through her the world will not be perfected in glory without great trials. Only then will all the just from the time of Adam, from Abel the just one to the last of the elect, be gathered together in the universal church in the Father's presence. This is a lot. I feel like there's a lot to unpack in every paragraph that we go through. Um, But let's look at this quote from St. Augustine. He says, The church progresses on her pilgrimage amidst this world's persecutions and God's consolations. So first of all, where does that quote come from? 
It comes from uh, Augustine's great masterpiece, and he has many masterpieces, but from uh, The City of God, uh, which is a later work in his life uh, that he wrote in response to uh, the sack of Rome in 410. And in the section that it comes from, he's actually talking about the Church's experience of persecutions in history, and as we were talking about last week, uh, looking at the Church even going back to the time of Cain and Abel, he actually sees that as the the, the first persecution mm. uh, he describes in this passage here, um, so Cain's uh, killing of Abel. But uh, he, yes, he uses the word uh, pilgrimage in here, though, and that's that's really striking about the Church. Uh, it's actually a participle in Latin, peregrinando, from the Latin peregrinari, which means uh, to travel in foreign countries, or even metaphorically can just be used about someone if they are strange or foreign. So in a way, he, he's saying the Church is, is going forward, traveling in a foreign country, uh, and is also strange. It can be seen as strange in this foreign country as well. So it's it's a word that we we hear all the time, especially uh, you know pilgrimages to shrines. And yet, uh, the way Augustine's using it here, he's saying something very important about the church and the way the church is present in history. Well, talk about that a little bit more. What is the role of the church here on earth in that regard? The church as a pilgrim. Well, uh, of course, the passage lets us know that the Church does not reach her fulfillment until the consummation of all things in Christ. But during this journey in the world, yes, I mean, the Church is in the world, right? Uh, And we are missioned to preach the gospel in the world, all of us, uh, both in word and in the way we live. Uh, But he also says that, uh, of course, the Church is going to experience this this sense of not really belonging fully to the world, uh, that in a way the Church is bridging the world uh, to this this presence, the Church's citizenship in heaven, even now. Uh, And we see this in so many ways. Uh, We don't follow, for instance, often the morals of the world. Uh, We follow uh, the teachings of Christ. Or even the way we live time uh, as we travel in the world. Uh, we render time sacred in the Church in a way that the world does not. I point this out to my students. Uh, when we talk about the start of the year here uh, at the college, they're not thinking January 1st. They're thinking the start of the academic year, right? Uh, we... we talk about time with seasons or the way we divide it up on a calendar or sports seasons. But for the Church, it's the rhythm of salvation history, right? Uh, we pass through ordinary time and Advent and Christmas, and so, and this is something that we bring to the world on pilgrimage as, as strangers. We, we change the rhythm of time in the way we follow Christ. I mean, those are some examples of the Church's mission to bring Christ to the world. And can you talk about this link between pilgrimage and exile in regards to the Church? Sure. Um, that's uh, another sense of this pilgrimage, right? I mean, we are, we are traveling in a foreign land, and I think sometimes we have to be very conscious of the fact that we are, we are not to 
not to adapt ourselves fully to the rhythm of the world, but to be conscious of the fact that in a way we are in exile. That is, until the Church comes to her consummation in Christ at the end of the age, as Augustine says, um, in a way we are... We are not fully present where we should be, right? I mean, we are citizens of heaven now in our baptism, and yet uh, there's still a fulfillment to come, and we should always be conscious of that, or we could just fall into the patterns of the world and forget who we are. Well, and how many of us, individually speaking, fall into the patterns mm. of this world, and and that, as we learn from St. Paul, harms the entire church, right? Just as mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm. celebrate all of the successes as one body, we also experience the pain as one body. And so I guess we shouldn't really be surprised um, when whenever we whenever we experience those pains, right? Father, mm-hmm. because we are, as, as it says in this beginning sentence, the church will receive its perfection only in the glory of heaven. So we're going to see a lot of imperfections uh, throughout mm-hmm. this pilgrimage. Absolutely. And we have to be conscious of that and, and helping one another along the way in the communion of saints, uh, recognizing my own need to bring uh, my sins to Christ for that healing, but also to help bear others along the way as well, uh, that we're on this pilgrimage together. And St. Augustine is a great uh, example of that, is he not? Absolutely. I mean, he shows that uh, in in his confessions, I mean, really, he's glorifying God with the gifts that he has received in his life. Uh, but he says also he wants us to t- make the same journey that he has been making and to discover the joy uh, and the, the mercy of God as he did. Yeah, and as you were saying, um, the City of God, talking about the, the sack of Rome, are written um, as as he's watching the... the the Roman Empire kind of fall apart here, mm. and and so he's he's seeing these persecutions, but it also talks about God's consolations. Um, I'm wondering what sort of consolations there are in times like that. Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, there are there's always a continuing healing presence of Christ in the sacraments, right? Uh, which Augustine, of course, writes. So wonderfully about, and so uh, these are constant consolations in our lives, but also the uh, the saints. Uh, I think every age has its challenges, but also there are saints who rise up to respond to them through the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, we can think of any age: Augustine himself, or Saint Catherine of Siena, uh, or whoever it may be, rises up to become uh, that uh, consolation for the Church. Yeah. I think of like the Protestant revolt, for instance, and all of the incredible saints that came up in that mm-hmm. time period. Yeah, absolutely. The saints as consolation for the church in those times of persecution. Good stuff from Father John Gavin. Go pick up a copy of his book. You can find Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dive into the Our Father through the wisdom of the early church. Father Gavin, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. God bless. You bet. Thank you, Father. You too. All right. It is coming up on 13 till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with Paul Thickman right after this. 
Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, lighthouse work, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have never seen women who want to be equal absolutely degrading themselves. And yet the media degrades your nature, your beauty as a woman, your, your goodness. Let us pray. At some point, our dear Lord touches their hearts. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Do you trust your spouse? You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Dr. Paul Thigpen, who has written a whole bunch of books on a whole bunch of things. But the one we're talking about today is his book, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith, because there have been all these congressional hearings about aliens and all kinds of fun stuff. We probably ought to have a Catholic perspective on that since we try and get a Catholic perspective on just about everything else. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. I know that you're just uh, lining up Catholic interviews all day, every day to talk about this. Actually, you're probably not, <laughs> but I intend to address this uh, because some people might say, well, this is just... The alien space UFO thing is for people who grew up in a post-space race world, uh, you know, watching reruns or first runs of Star Trek. Uh, in fact, this is a much older question than that in the Church, right? It is. I mean, the conversation about non-human intelligence that's not angelic is, uh, goes back 20, 25 centuries in Western history, even to the Greek, Greeks, you know, the pagan Greeks, and all the way in the Church, all the way to the early, uh, early Church Fathers. Well, I love the way that you set that up from the beginning because uh, the Church absolutely believes and uh, canonically affirms extraterrestrial intelligence. As a matter of fact, we've got some feast days coming up this fall for extraterrestrial beings. Uh, in September, we've got the Feast of the Archangels, and in October, we got the Feast of the Guardian Angels. So there's no doubt in the Church's mind there is such a thing as extraterrestrial intelligence, right? Yes, or you could call it non-human intelligence, I guess, the... Uh... They, you know, the angels visit Earth, and I mean, they don't occupy space, but 
But anyway, yeah, non-human intelligence, anyway, to make a broader category out of it. So did there, uh, in the Church's mind, were there, were there other distinctions uh, when they were trying to think about what would be non-human intelligence and, and how might we deal with it? Like, who are some of the people who have talked about that sort of thing that might surprise us? Well, golly, for starters, um, well, we have to keep in mind that because Aristotle's model of the universe, where the Earth is at the center, and then there's there are no other—I mean, they even have a concept of planets. The, the Greek word for planet simply means wanderer because they thought they were stars that were moving not according to the, the pattern of the others. So they didn't even have a notion that you could have beyond the moon a rocky body actually have inhabited. So keeping that in mind, you know, but they did discuss the notion of other entire second universes altogether that might have inhabited, uh, been inhabited. But the, the main thing is that you, even then you have St. Augustine, St. Jerome, St. Jerome uh, believed that there were non-human intelligences on Earth. You can imagine they uh, they both and we you know we have these these documents uh, and for Saint Augustine it's in the City of God that uh, that they thought the mythological creatures some of the mythological creatures of the Greeks were actually real things but they weren't angels they weren't human uh, they were something else and so that I mean right there that's not the same thing as again as extraterrestrial but uh, but it does mean that some of the starting early on some of the great minds of the faith said sure there can be other intelligence beings that aren't angels and aren't humans. I think it's so important that you mention that for a few different reasons, Uh, one of which is that, well, you you see a bunch of different kind of takes on what it might mean to discover extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, and specifically in our context, life on other planets, (laughs) and what that might be like, uh, who they might be, because you come from a Pentecostal world. <laughs> we kind of buried the lead mm-hmm. on that. So, so you come from a world where there is uh, a lot of you know Christian fundamentalism, and I've heard you know people from that world, even some Catholics who are kind of influenced by that world, say, "Well, anything that's coming off as an alien is actually a demon." <laughs> right? <laughs> that's end of oh, yeah. story. Yeah. No need for further speculation or questions. Right? And then I exactly. see people on the other end of the thing, the secular materialist kind of atheist <laughs> thing that says. Well, if we find intelligent life on other other planets, that'll prove that Christianity and all religions here on planet Earth are invalid and false. And the Catholic Church doesn't really fall down hard on either one of those sides, right? That's right. The Church has never made a definitive, you know, definition or, or, or declaration about this. Uh, you have folks who probably they're basing their notion on on this all being demons uh, <clears throat> on certain claims that the Catechism says that the Catechism denies. The existence of ETI. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Uh, I go through that in my, in my book. The passages they look at, they're treating, they're reading almost the way Protestant fundamentalists read the Bible, where they just look at a few words and then they don't look at the context, they don't look at the scope of of the text, they don't see that a few sentences later, when it talks about how we're the only ones made in the image of God, that it that it, it says on earth, you know, it adds that that qualification. So I would say, um, you know, there really there are two issues kind of going on right now. One is is it contrary to the Catholic faith? to admit the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligence, or non-human intelligence that's not angels. And my position, my conclusion, after doing all this research, looking at the history of it, doing the theology, is that no, it's not. And you have folks like the former director of the Vatican Observatory uh, giving a very clear statement about that, uh, Father Pune, saying, no, it's not contrary to faith. I know others, um, folks that you would know, you have said to me privately, of course it's not others. But then you have some people just making this stand. It's all demons, it's all demons. Most of them aren't giving any kind of reasoning. I have to say, uh, folks, you need to do a little more research to know what's going on. The other issue, then, of course, is even if it's, if you admit that it's possible, the question is, then have we been visited? 
or is there something to the UFOs? And that's part of what the congressional hearing is getting getting at. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that we have some more conversations about this in the coming weeks. But just to close us out here, you know, you reflect on the catechism, you reflect on statements by church leaders and authorities on philosophy and how it all uh, comes to you know comes to bear on this question. But you also reflect on the scriptures. And of all the scriptures, I love the fact uh, that you focus in on some Job. So very briefly, if you could just like share how the exchange with God and Job sort of opens us up to have this conversation at all. Well, it's great. We've had folks who say that, you know, that many early Christian theologians kind of have the God of Aristotle rather than the God of Job, but it was, it was Job who said, God who said to Job, or you, when the foundations of the world were made. And he started saying, where were you when I put the constellations out there? You don't even know. Do you even know the ordinances that I have for the universe? And we have to be humble and say, no, we don't. There's so much we don't know about what God has done. Yeah, God has done He's made an entire universe, and we've only been to a very, very, very small part of it. <laughs> Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith by Dr. Paul Thigpen, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Paul. Have a great day. You do the same, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think we're going to try and get Paul on for a couple more conversations because he goes rather in-depth on this question of the implications of thinking about extraterrestrial intelligence that is not angels, as he clarifies, right? Because the angels are uh, from beyond planet Earth, and they certainly are intelligent beings. But again, you can find Paul uh, Paul Thigpen, almost said Paul Lachman's. Paul Lachman didn't have a book yet. Paul Thigpen's book on extraterrestrial intelligence in the Catholic Church, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. we got another full hour coming up for many of you listening across the EWTN family of stations. Back after this, it's 3 Till. Geo.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Monday, the 7th of August. Let's begin together in prayer, praying a prayer written by St. Clement of Alexandria in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we all live in the peace that comes from you. May we journey towards your city, sailing through the waters of sin, untouched by the waves, borne tranquilly along by the Holy Spirit, your wisdom beyond all telling. Night and day until the last day of all, may our praises give you thanks. Our thanksgiving praise you, you who alone are both Father and Son, Son and Father, the Son who is our tutor and our teacher, together with the Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Since Anna Mitchell and Father John Gavin were talking about the church as a pilgrim last hour, I like that idea of journeying towards your city, sailing through the waters of sin, untouched by the waves, borne tranquilly along by the Spirit. Some good journey language. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. And up this hour, we catch up with Teresa Tamio, and uh, she's been part of a big event that we're going to explore 
with her here in just a moment. Brandon Hodge from The Pillar will look at uh, Dorothy L. Sayers and what she has to say about the stages of childhood development. This is uh, a conversation that if you're involved in any kind of classical education, you may have run across Dorothy L. Sayers on this very topic. Ken Craycraft will discuss Ohio's Issue 1. There's a lot of stuff out there about it, and uh, maybe you've heard a whole lot about it, but aren't sure exactly what it says. Well, Ken Craycraft will talk about that, and then Stephanie Mann with more on the English Martyrs at the end of the hour. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Bridgetown Finer Meats and BridgetownFinerMeats.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after his nearly week-long pilgrimage to Lisbon, Portugal for World Youth Day. The Holy Father celebrated the World Youth Day closing mass and on the Feast of the Transfiguration, an estimated 1.5 million people attended the mass at a riverside park in Lisbon. In his homily, Pope Francis called on the young people to shine, to listen, and to be unafraid. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells has more. También hoy nosotros necesitamos algo de luz. We too need light, the Pope said, a burst of light that is hope to face so much darkness that assails us in life. That light, he explained, is Jesus, because he is the light that does not go out, the light that shines even in the night. And we, in turn, the Pope continued, become luminous. We shine. When welcoming Jesus, we learn to love as he did. Pope Francis noted the words of God the Father to the apostles, commanding them to listen to his beloved Son. It's all here, the Pope said, all that is to be done in life. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Every secret is there. He explained that if someone is unsure about what God is saying to them, they can read the Gospels to hear what Jesus says and listen to what he says in their hearts. Jesus has words of eternal life for us. He reveals that God is the Father and he is love. Jesus teaches us the path to love. Finally, the Holy Father reminded his youthful listeners of the last words of Jesus to his disciples during the Transfiguration. Get up and do not be afraid. The Pope acknowledged the fears of young people who have great dreams but fear they might not come true, who may be tempted by pessimism or discouragement, or who feel that their efforts are in vain. But he nonetheless encouraged them, saying it is good for them to want to change the world, to fight for justice and peace. The world needs you, the Pope said, like the earth needs rain. And he invited each of them to repeat silently in their hearts, do not be afraid. I'm Christopher Wells. During his Angelus address following that Mass and before heading back to Rome, the Holy Father announced that the next international gathering for World Youth Day will take place in Seoul, South Korea in 2027. Archbishop Peter Chung Soon Take of Seoul was in Lisbon for the announcement and told Vatican News that he was very joyful over this news. He said this will be an occasion to taste Korean culture and feel unity in Christ. Meanwhile, Pope Francis is now back in Rome. He paid his usual visit to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to pray before the icon of the Salus Papali Romani to give thanks for this trip to Lisbon. In the United States, severe weather is in the forecast for parts of the Midwest and Northeast throughout the day. The National Weather Service says there are increasing threats for thunderstorms and heavy rain as far south as Tennessee. 
States like Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, and Kentucky faced threats of damaging winds and large hail. Meantime, several tornadoes were reported on Saturday across Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, and Nebraska. Forecasters say the severe weather is making its way into the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. A federal judge is giving former President Trump until the end of the day to respond to special counsel Jack Smith's motion for a protective order. Trey Thomas has more. Smith filed the motion Friday after Trump posted on Truth Social, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Trump pleaded not guilty Thursday to criminal charges connected to his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Smith wrote in his filing that public posts by the former president about the case could have a harmful, chilling effect on witnesses. I'm Trey Thomas. The reigning two-time defending champions have been eliminated from the Women's World Cup. The U.S. was sent home following a penalty shootout loss to Sweden in Melbourne, Australia yesterday. Following a scoreless regulation, the U.S. was outscored 5-4 to four on penalty kicks. And Barbie is now a member of the Billion Dollar Club, the movie that is. Warner Brothers says Greta Gerwig's movie, based on the iconic doll, has earned more than a billion dollars at the global box office, making it the first film solely directed by a woman to ever cross that mark. Since it debuted last month, Barbie has brought in more than $450 million in North American ticket sales. It just spent its third weekend in a row at number one in the U.S. and Canada. All right. Well, I still need to see it. I don't know. I'm determined to see it after my conversation with Deacon Stephen Gray Donis. Well, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, I appreciate Deacon Stephen's take on it as a, you know, middle aged dude. The person (laughs) whose takes that I've been following is Amy Wellborn because Amy Wellborn is like, you know, got her sort of post 12th wave feminist critique on things from a Catholic (laughs) theology of the body perspective. Well, I am. And at, so uh, I, I just read what it, whenever there's a weird cultural issue involving feminism, rather than me trying to like come up with what I think and trying to interpret what the church teaches, mm-hmm. I just go to Amy Wellborn because she's broken it down very nicely. Dude, most of the time. well, I have refrained from having Amy Wellborn on to talk about Barbie because I want to see it before I talk to her about it. So wait, wait, wait! You're saying that as a person involved in the media, you want to actually. Think about and reflect on something before acting like you already know, about know it. what it's about. Yeah, believe it that or not, seems revolutionary. Anna believe it or not, I like to be informed about the things that I talk about. Shockingly, yeah, but shockingly. wouldn't you rather just be the kind of person that has that a hot gets, take and that's got listeners? Know, just, you know, gets takes, gets hot takes just out there, throws the bomb out there, regardless of what it's actually about. I just assume what it's about and. You know, it's not about editorialized it's a, it's a, based on it. Yeah, but will that get clicks? No, that's not my thing. Will that get clicks? I'm sorry, Matt. It's I'm not about clicks. Well, we are trying to uphold virtue. Clicks with truth. a CK or clicks with a QU. There's a lot of overlap in those two terms. I know, Jordan. right? You're not kidding. Echo chambers. <laughs> the Sunrise Morning Show continues and... Teresa Tamio now joining us from EWT and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. She's also joining us from a big party, as I understand it, 
where people are trying to build one another up and edify each other and come away a little bit stronger in their relationships. Teresa, good morning. Hey, good morning. We're live from the beautiful Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. It's just so pretty here. And 400-plus people, Matt and Annie, from around the country and our star of the show, Jesus first, of course, and the Mass, but then Father Michael Schmidt. So he, uh, of course, celebrated Mass for us last night, gave a great talk afterwards, and he's going to be meeting with people. He had a private dinner with some folks who wanted to support his ministry at Duluth for the youth there. And he's going to be doing a, a putt-putt event this afternoon with some folks for, you know, photo op and signing. And then he celebrates Mass again and another talk tonight. So, wow, what a great uh, event and to be able to get so inspired by Father Michael Schmitz. And I have to run in a few minutes down to the um, the main theater because we're doing Catholic Connection Live this morning from the Grand Hotel. So you'll hear all kinds of fun interviews. The sights and the sounds of you know, the the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. I want the sights and sounds of you and Deacon Dom uh, going up against Father Mike Schmitz and Putt-Putt. That's what I want oh, there the sights you go. and sounds of. <clears throat> well, Putt-Putt I can handle, and Dom's a pretty good golfer. I, I, I think I've golfed the real golf once in my life, and Dominic said we can't golf together because we've headed right to divorce court, so we kind of stay, stay away from that as a married couple. Putt-Putt, though, I'm pretty good at. But I want to let all his, all his wonderful fans and followers uh, – go in front of me. So I don't even know if I could chance. I mean, there's so many people that want to meet with him. It's such a beautiful thing to see how he takes so much time, especially with the young people. After Mass, they gathered all the young people, a lot of beautiful families here, to take a picture with Father Mike. And you think about Jesus, right? Let the children come to me. And you think about the importance of relationship, about these young people having this impression of this priest who took the time with them to meet them, shake their hands, take a photo, meet their parents. That kind of stuff creates a lot of memories. In addition to the bonding that goes on, they have a tradition here at the Grand that every night after dinner in their beautiful, beautiful dining hall that overlooks, of course, the Straits of Mackinac, they have a wonderful young musicians that they bring together, and they have live music. And it's so great to see all the young people out on the dance floor and then the girls dancing with their dads and the boys dancing with their moms and everybody getting out there. Of course, I led, I led the, um, the hustle last night, I'm just saying. I got oh, out goodness. there and let everybody in the dance, so it was a lot of fun. But it's just very uplifting, and I think with all the, the bad news we hear in the world, coming together to have this kind of joy, it just makes such a difference when you leave here. It feels so uplifted. Well, that is pretty cool. On a number yeah, of fun. levels, uh, you know, the, the dance floor thing, uh, Teresa, you just reminded me, and I don't know why I thought about this when you said this. I think maybe you referenced to the hustle, but I was at a wedding once where the bride gave the DJ a list and said, under no circumstances are you to play any of these songs at my reception. And I think it was like the Cupid Shuffle and the Cha-Cha Slide and whatever. DJ thought it was the playlist. Oh. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad, uh, Teresa. Oh, my gosh. I like the Cupid Shuffle. I guess I'm just uh, old. I just like to do. dance and get out some there and have do. fun. I don't know. I, you know, I like I all really those get dances. out there to some, some ABBA yeah. and Dancing Queen myself, but you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I, like I don't ABBA. get on the floor. I just sit on the, you know, against the, I grew up Protestant. I uh, sit on the wall with my arms folded and judge the rest of you all. Oh, okay. It's not all my right. blood. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if, the, if you could then, uh, since we couldn't be there, give me one good takeaway, one nugget. That you've gotten uh, from well, this I'd have to say the takeaway from um, Father's homily yesterday, reminding us about how loved we are and, and talking about how Jesus wants to transform and transfigure us, obviously, yesterday uh, for Mass, celebrating the Feast of the Transfiguration, but that we all feel, and, and he talked about men and women, how women, that, that we don't, we're not er enough, we're not thin enough, we're not pretty, we need to be thinner, we need to be prettier, and how men never feel confident, how the, how the world and, and you-know-who 
makes men feel like they're not competent enough and that God loves you just the way you are. And he loves you. And he, he says, you are worth it. I died for you. Never forget that. And he said, we have to understand. He kind of wrapped it up with the talk after the mass saying that we have to understand that when we all die, we're going to stand before the Lord. You know, we're going to be asked, you know, okay, why should we let you in? At the end of the day, it's to remember that Jesus died for us, so we lived for him. He kept saying that throughout his talk at the end after Mass. So I think those are two takeaways, just remember that we live for Christ, and that we're always good enough for God. He loves us right where we're at, but wants to give us so much more in the abundant life. So really very inspiring. Well, I've heard that, as you know, working uh, with a lot of converts and a lot of people who come back to the Church especially. I hear this more from quote-unquote reverts than I do from converts, Catholics who left the Church and came back. And uh, what they say so very often is, I didn't need somebody to tell me that what I was doing was wrong. I kind of mm-hmm. already knew that. Right. What I needed was somebody to tell me that God loved me. God loved me. Because I didn't right. believe that about myself. Yep. Bingo. So Not that complicated. We seem to make it very complicated. So, yeah, it's just it's, it's, you're really uplifting. And then the other thing, too, Matt, and you'll appreciate this uh, as a radio host, is people, when they come up to you and they say, thank you for Catholic Radio— it sounds kind of corny, but it just really is, I think, um, very important for us to hear that because of the way we really concentrate on trying to bring the good news to people. And doing, I think we do a good job of keeping it balanced, not focusing on all the negative and the world is ending and imploding, reporting on the stuff that has to be reported on, but then making sure people are keeping their eyes on Christ. And, and people are telling us that. We hear feedback every time we do one of these events. So want to thank all the listeners because so many, and they're from all over. I mean, we, obviously we have a lot of people from Michigan, but I've met people so far from Texas, from Nebraska, from California, from New Jersey, and of course from the Midwest here, Ohio and Michigan, but just a really diverse audience in terms of um, all the different areas that they're representing. Well, here's what listeners don't understand about how this dynamic works, uh, is that some of them are excited to meet, you know, us in the radio mm-hmm. world, but they don't understand that I'm actually a lot more excited to meet them. Meet them. Because yep. I go on the mm-hmm. radio very, very early in the morning, and I'm not even sure they exist until I get introduced <laughs> to them at like You're some, alive. some yeah. like thing. So I'm way more excited to meet you than you could ever possibly be. Yeah, to it's, be, it's to very encouraging. Me. Yeah, Teresa, we will be listening to the Nat sound coming from the Grand Hotel there. Yeah, and Father Mike will be on with me this morning, too, in the National Hour of the Show, so look forward to that. Yeah, you got to send him our best from the Sunrise Morning Show. It's been a while since we talked to him, so have a great day. You, too. Talk to you next week. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, 16 minutes past the hour. we got headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Bernadette Pogusky, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? To reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn. To bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion. And to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after being in Lisbon for nearly a week for World Youth Day. He celebrated the closing mass with some 1.5 million people before heading back. During his Angelus address before going back to Rome, the Holy Father announced that the next international gathering for World Youth Day will take place in Seoul, South Korea in 2027. Anna Mitchell, I... uh didn't follow near as much of World Youth Day as I was hoping to, but I did uh, appreciate a remark from Jeff Miller, a.k.a. the Kurt Jester, who's oh, a great following one of your, blogger. One of your boys. One of my guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the old school Catholic bloggers. and he, uh, he put it out there that he's still waiting for the church to coordinate and hold World Misspent Youth Day <laughs> for... Uh, for all the people who, That's when so they were good. in the age bracket for World Youth Day, were perhaps not quite not there. not really the kind of person <laughs> that would go to a church thing. So World Misspent Youth Day would be like a chance for those oh my god who wasted their youth away from God to kind of come back together later in life. That and is talk about like how they wish they would have lived. Idea as young people, and I joked because Jeff is from North Florida. I was like, you could host it in your backyard. It could be organized and held at St. Augustine. Because mm-hmm. St. Augustine, built-in patron great, saint of misspent youth. Great idea. It's a world misspent youth day. Yes. For all the people who, when they were in that bracket, would never have gone to anything. How can like we this. make that happen? I think it's a great idea. I think it's a fabulous, like seriously, I think that's a fabulous idea. And you, know, the first people I would invite are all the people who call us at Catholic Radio and say, you know what, I went to 12 years of Catholic school and... Then, mm-hmm. you know, went to college and young adulthood and was away from the church for the whole. And then I came back later on. Mm-hmm. That's your demo. Yeah. That's your demo. All those people who could have gone to World Youth Day. We got to talk to folks at EWTN down at the mothership. There's probably some misspent youths down there. Get that going. Tom Price. I know you're listening event. right now. Let's make, Let's it, make happen. it happen. It's 21 past. So, for iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, the feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Brendan Hodge back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It from Ignatius Press and is a contributing editor to The Pillar as well. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. So we're continuing to look at an essay by Dorothy L. Sayers on classical education. You've been running sort of a a book club over at the Darwin Catholic blog on this essay. Can you remind us first off, just for listeners' benefits, what is meant by classical education? Yes. So Sayers described classical education as being an approach to education rooted in Western culture's ancient and medieval past with its stages of learning based on the medieval trivium, which were kind of the core subjects of medieval learning. These were grammar, dialectic, or um, logic, uh, and rhetoric, or uh, persuasive writing. Okay, so now we are going to be talking about the part of her essay in which she sort of unpacks these stages of development of of school-age children, and she breaks it down into three stages. So tell us about the first stage first. Yeah, so Sayers talks about these three subjects of the medieval trivium as being aligned with three stages of childhood development. And the first of these she describes as the pole parrot stage. Uh, which is maybe sort of a British phrase, but if you parent. picture as a, I think any uh, any parent, uh, I was just being regaled the other day by my uh, nine-year-old son with uh, fascinating facts about octopuses. And he had watched a documentary about octopuses, and so he was just full of how many brains they had, how small a hole they could fit through, whether or not they could survive outside of water for short periods. Uh, all of these facts about octopuses, and he'll just soak this stuff up and repeat it back to you. 
And whether it's that or it's an ancient city that uh, he saw on Drain the Oceans or uh, facts about shipping, anything that catches his fancy, he can repeat back in detail. He just kind of soaks up facts and then he pours them out at any opportunity. And this is what Sayers describes as the pole parrot stage, where children are really, really eager to soak up all sorts of facts, interesting pieces of information, stories, and then repeat them back. And they often do so fairly uncritically. They don't necessarily have huge powers of analyzing these facts and stories and putting them together in the more rigorous ways that an adult scientist or historian might do. But uh, they're just really, really hungry for facts, and they love to repeat them back to people. And so this is a good stage for memorization, um, as as you write in the blog. And we'll dive more into that in a, in a second. But let's get to the second stage next. So the second stage she calls the PERT, or argumentative stage. And this is as kids get more into the middle school years and they suddenly want to argue about everything. I'm not sure I um, ever left that phase, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some of us could probably identify with remaining in this pretty personally. <laughs> but this is the stage where just as facts were fascinating before, suddenly arguments become uh, really important to kids. And so they want to litigate every point. They want to know why everything is and hash it out and now, that their, their powers of logical reasoning may still not be at full adult strength, but they're very, very eager to use them to discuss why everything has to be what it is and kind of hash all these things out for themselves. Uh, and it, it can be frustrating, but there is a real hunger there to understand now not just the what, but the why of everything. Okay, and then take us through the third stage. So the final stage she calls the poetic stage um, and this is where suddenly the emotions start to flow. So this is in uh, kind of late middle school, heading into high school, and uh, student children want to express themselves. They want to express their feelings to others. They want to persuade others to feel the way that they feel, and they really want to kind of bring everyone along with the tide of these powerful new emotions that they're ex experiencing as they head into their teenage years. And so this is a very expressive stage of childhood, um, and that's why she calls it the poetic stage, because although the, feel, the appeal of kind of the strong emotions and images and poetry, and they also really want to express themselves to others in those really strong emotional terms. Now, seeing children in this light, how does classical education fit into those three stages? So the way that Sayers sees it is that the this whole parrot stage is very well suited for learning the basics of many subjects, what she calls the grammar of subjects. And so in grammar, she's talking not just about diagramming a sentence, but the building blocks of knowledge. So this is um, the kings of Israel, the kings of England, important dates throughout history, presidents, states, capitals, all of these things that uh, you're really good at memorizing at that age. And you don't necessarily even have to know how they fit together yet, but you want to know all the facts. And that this argumentative stage is where, if you're going to be so argumentative, you really need to learn how to formulate an argument. What's a valid argument? What's an invalid argument? And so if ch children are going to be constantly making cases and arguing at this stage, they need to learn how to do so properly, and they're going to thrive on learning those tools. And that as they reach the poetic stage, this is the stage where children need to learn to write expressively. And so this is a stage where it's important for them to see really good examples of persuasive writing and to learn to imitate those so they can express their feelings and their desires in 
good writing and good speech and persuade others. Nice. Well, if you'd like to get in on the conversation, read more of uh, Brendan's unpacking of Dorothy L. Sayers' essay on classical education, you can go to darwincatholic.blogspot.com and you can find Brendan linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Brendan, thank you so much. Thank you. Very interesting conversation here. Parrot phase. Love it. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Pope Francis is back in Rome today after his nearly week-long pilgrimage to Lisbon for World Youth Day. The Pope celebrated the World Youth Day closing mass yesterday on the Feast of the Transfiguration. An estimated 1.5 million people attended the mass at Riverside Park in Liz- at a Riverside Park in Lisbon. In his homily, the Holy Father called on the young people to shine, to listen, and to be unafraid. During his Angelus address following the Mass and before heading back to Rome, the Pope announced the next international gathering for World Youth Day. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. También hoy nosotros necesitamos algo de luz. We- that is the wrong story. One second. Here is Eduardo Garibaldi. Tendrá lugar en Asia. Será en Corea del Sur. En Seúl. Moving from the western edge of Europe to the far east, Pope Francis highlighted an expression, thank you, or rather, obrigado. Gratitude, therefore, was the core value of the Pope's Angelus message after the Holy Mass concluding World Youth Day in Lisbon. That obrigado not only conveys a sense of gratitude for what we have received, but also the desire to give in return, the Holy Father explained, highlighting how much each pilgrim has received in this grace-filled event. Now, as we return home, the Lord makes us in turn feel the need to share and to give, to bear witness joyfully and eagerly to the good that God has poured into our hearts. He also dedicated a reflection to all those who were not able to attend the event because of wars, expressing his great sorrow for the beloved Ukraine and sharing his dream of young people praying for peace, living in peace and building a peaceful future. Before concluding his address, Pope Francis invited young people from all over the world in Rome for the Jubilee and announced Seoul, South Korea, as the next World Youth Day site. The event will take place in 2027. The final obrigado, the greatest one, was to the Lord Jesus and to the Blessed Mary, our Mother. They have been here with us, and they are always with us, Pope Francis concluded, never losing sight of our lives, and they love us like no one else. Obrigado a ti, Señor Jesús. Obrigado a ti, María, Madre Nuestra. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. The Archbishop of Seoul, Peter Chung Soon Take, expressed his joy to Vatican News over the announcement that his archdiocese will host the next gathering of the International World Youth Day. He said this will be a chance to taste Korean culture, a different taste, he said, but they will also feel unity in Christ. On Saturday, Pope Francis made a pilgrimage within his pilgrimage as he visited the shrine at Fatima to pray with the sick. On his flight back to Rome, the Holy Father told reporters, quote, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed to Our Lady, and I prayed for peace. 
I did not advertise this, but I prayed, and we must continually repeat this prayer for peace. She made this request during the First World War, and this time I appealed to Our Lady, and I prayed. I did not advertise, end quote. Severe weather is in the forecast for parts of the Midwest and Northeast through today. The National Weather Service says there are increasing threats for thunderstorms and heavy rain as far south as Tennessee. Several tornadoes were reported on Saturday across Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, and Nebraska. Forecasters say the severe weather is making its way into the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. An attorney for former President Trump is expecting an indictment from a Georgia district attorney within the next few weeks. Mark Mayfield reports. Speaking on Fox News Sunday Morning Futures, Elena Haba accused Fulton County DA Fannie Willis of wanting to have her moment. Haba says Willis is getting on the bandwagon with who she called the rest of the corrupt district attorneys and attorneys general who have indicted the former president. Trump is being investigated for his role in allegedly trying to overturn Georgia's results in the 2020 presidential election. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the U.S. women's national team has been eliminated from the Women's World Cup, losing to Sweden. It's 35 past. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why should we be sorry for our sins? We should be sorry for our sins because sin is the greatest of evils and an offense against God, our Creator, Preserver, and Redeemer, and because it shuts us out of heaven and condemns us to the eternal pains of hell. Sin is the greatest of evils, first because it destroys our soul and actually makes us lower than the beasts. Beasts can't do any sin because they don't know what they're doing, but man can. Sin is also an offense against God, our Creator, and just like a good parent, He's the one who wants the best for us. Finally, the consequences of sin are that it shuts us out of heaven and condemns us to the pains of hell, because heaven is the greatest happiness, hell the greatest sadness. And so therefore we can see that we should truly be sorry for our sins, and that's going to help us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 
Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And there is a special election coming up in Ohio on Tuesday, which would basically raise the threshold for amending the state constitution if it passes. And we've got a good number of Ohio listeners uh, listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. But Ken, tell us why our national audience at large should care about what seems like a very state-specific issue. Yeah, there, there are two reasons. The general uh, reason is that Ohio is, first of all, a, a bellwether state, you know, 13 million people. It's a very significant state in the Midwest, and, and it's, it's becoming more of a purple state than a blue or a red state. Uh, generally speaking, however, the way that this has happened in Ohio is very similar to the way that the abortion proponents are going to do it throughout the United States, and that is to pour in tens of millions of dollars from outside the state to try to change the law in Ohio and in other states. In other words, taking, and this is really ironic, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, taking away the initiatives from Ohioans by massive influxes of money from outside the state to try to change the law. Now, you've, you mentioned, of course, the proposed uh, constitutional amendment uh, to change the way that the Constitution has changed in Ohio. But, but there's another bill, and that's the more important one, and that is the b- bill that would make uh, abortion on demand in Ohio legal uh, through a constitutional amendment. And we'll come back to that. The second more specific reason that Ohio is important and why this election is important is that the same type of thing is going on in at least two or three other states. Both Florida and Missouri, for example, have also uh, introduced initiatives to try to make it more difficult to change the constitution of the state. And why, why are both of those things important, both generally and specifically? They're important because state constitutions should not be the place where law is made or where regulations are made. State constitutions should be general principles of governance, like the United States Constitution, and therefore should be difficult to amend. The reason for that is that the way that people make law is through their elected representatives. That's the, that's the American way, if you will. These constitutional amendments take that initiative away from the voters to make law through their elected representatives, put it in the Constitution, which makes the Constitution bloated and which makes it more difficult for the citizens uh, to, to change the law in their state through their elected representatives. You know, the United States Constitution and he has been amended 17 times since 1789 when it was when it was uh, passed when the constitution was passed now there are 27 amendments but the first 10 of them were passed at the same time right. so it's yeah, been amended it's okay 17 time. times the ohio constitution on the other hand has been amended 172 times and of course there are two amendment proposals uh, upcoming in a special election uh, uh, in august and then general election in november Okay, so let's look at this one that is in August because it is most immediate. And there's a lot of confusion over this one because it's turned into such a divisive issue. I mean, contrary to the yard signs that you and I are seeing all around in uh, the Cincinnati area specifically, issue one is not actually about abortion, though it kind of is. 
Yes. Well, it kind of is because the proposal is meant, and there, we will not be coy about this, the proposal is meant to do uh, to, to amend the Constitution, yes, but to amend it before the November election, because the November election has a proposal on the, on the ballot, which uh, if the August election goes uh, uh, the way that we hope it goes, then it will make it more difficult for the November initiative to pass. So what does the August initiative do? First of all, in Ohio right now, to put a ballot proposal before the voters to amend the Constitution, it takes 5% of the voters from only 44 of Ohio's 88 counties. In other words, you can cherry pick the counties. If you want to make a constitutional amendment, you cherry pick the counties where you know you can easily get signatures. And in Ohio, there the three largest counties are where Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus are located, namely Cuyahoga, uh, Hamilton, and uh, Franklin counties. And you can ignore the rural counties, which probably would vote differently from the more populous uh, urban centers. That it changes the the proposed constitution changes that to requiring signatures from all 88 counties, 5% of the voters from the last gubernatorial election from all 88 counties. The second thing that it does, and this is the really big ticket item, is it requires 60% of the voters to pass the ballot initiative to change the constitution. Right now in Ohio, to change the constitution, it only requires 50% plus one person. And again, that make, that's far too easy to change a constitution which is supposed to guide a state's uh, you know, legal culture in a more broad and general way. And then it eliminates a cure period for bad signatures. Right now, what people will do is, is take signature from anybody without regard to whether or not the signature might be valid. For example, the person might not be uh, 18 years of age or might not be registered to vote or might not even be a, a resident of Ohio. And then the way it works now is you have 10 days to fix that if the signature is found to be invalid to get more signatures. And this new constitutional amendment would change that as well. Now, what are the implications? Well, you mentioned, I guess, already the implications for the November ballot initiative in Ohio, which would right. enshrine abortion in the state constitution. So if if the uh, August election passes, if, if yes. that issue passes, then that will take 60 percent of voters in Ohio to amend Ohio's constitution to enshrine abortion rights in the state and thus overturning the heartbeat law that we have on the books right now, but is currently under injunction. So that's correct. I'm just curious, Ken, what do you do you think? Um, well, I, I'm curious what you think are the the chances of uh, of issue one passing and then subsequently either way that it goes, yeah. what you think could happen in November here in Ohio? Well, first of all, the amendment is, uh, as the, as a, a, a poll, the most recent poll that I've seen uh, conducted by Ohio Northern University, it's an absolute dead heat hmm. if you consider statistical error. Uh, if you don't consider statistical error, voting yes on issue one, which would, uh, which would make it more difficult to amend the Constitution, a yes vote, uh, is actually in the lead slightly. And that's wow. actually a change from, the, from recent polling. I'm so kind of the needle is moving. 
yeah, the needle is moving in a good way. What it would do is, and so the, the November uh, initiative makes abortion legal on demand in Ohio. It basically institutes Roe v. Wade, except it's even worse because it, it takes away even the ability for parents to consent or even to know about their mm-hmm. uh, child's abortion. Uh, any minor can get an abortion under the language of the amendment. So if uh, issue one passes, then it'll make it much more difficult for that November ballot uh, to pass. I think that it won't. I don't think it'll get 60. The other thing to note, Annie, and this is very important, is that if if issue one passes on the special August election, it will take effect immediately. So it has a direct impact on the November November, election. So in other words, it would cause that ballot in November to require 60 percent. I don't think it will get 60 percent. If you look at the Ohio uh, legislative chambers and if you look at the the way that Ohio choose their legislatures and what they want their legislatures to do, I think that that the amendment won't pass. And that takes us back to the the thing that we said earlier, and that is outside interest trying to change the law in Ohio. Uh, people who don't live in Ohio and money that 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 isn't from Ohio. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ken Craycraft, for your analysis of that. You can find him linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Please pray for Ohio. That vote is tomorrow. Early voting shut down today, Ohio voters. No voting today. Go to the polls tomorrow if you haven't been there yet. 14 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Stephanie Mann joins us next. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. The best way to practice not really being able to fully celebrate in other people's successes is to go to what you're grateful for in your own life. So when someone next to you is having a a great success, you immediately go to, Lord, I'm so grateful. I have my health. I have my husband. I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. And all of a sudden, everything becomes just perfect. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. Do you trust your spouse? You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Joining us on this Monday, the 7th of August, 
I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann. She is the author of Supremacy and Survival, How Catholics Endured the English Reformation. She's got a blog of the same name. Stephanie, good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Matt. So we've got an interesting story regarding poisoning. Yes. I don't know how to set it up other than just to say, why don't you just take us into the story? Okay. Well, uh, a priest... Uh, Father Thomas Palisor and two laymen and also one of the laymen's wives, uh, John and John Norton and his wife and John Talbot were all arrested at the home of John Norton in Yorkshire and brought to Durham prison. So Thomas Palliser was accused of being a priest and the two men and, and the wife were accused of assisting a priest. And of course this was illegal in Elizabethan England and this, the year 16, 1600, in fact. And so they're in prison together and the, a maid brings food from the jailer's wife to father Palliser and he, it's soup, a broth basically. And he looks at the broth and it, There's blood running from a bone that's in the broth, and he sees crosses and little uh, shapes of O's. And he's not. This is not uh, a a a canned product. He's not. This does not look like Chef Boyardee the way you're describing it. It's not Chef Boyardee. Yes, and so he does not consume it. He doesn't even taste it or consume it. And so the maid takes it back to the her mistress and she puts some spices on it and sends it to the two laymen. And the same thing happens when they look at the soup. So they don't taste it either. And so the maid, whose name is Mary Day, confesses to Father Palisor that she knows that the jailer's wife poisoned that soup. She intended to kill the, the men through a, probably some horrible death, some poison that was in it that would cause them great agony and and mary is now confessing it to the priest and she says because of that miracle of the appearance and the fact they wouldn't consume the soup she wants to be received as a catholic and so father palisar receives her as a catholic hears her confession and she's reconciled to the church and then she goes to live with a a uh, catholic woman named eleanor forcer i like the name forcer and she gives us information uh, she recounts the story and relays it so that when uh our bishop uh, richard Shaloner writes his memoirs of all the priests and those who have died in, in the penal and, and recusant eras has a story to tell about these three men escaping death by poison now they didn't escape death by being hanged drawn and quartered but they uh, escape this death and the fact that there's a conversion that comes out of it because the young woman is so shocked and so amazed by the fact that they're they perceive there's the broth that are being served it's pretty wild uh you know and it's interesting yes, it uh, too for for a number of reasons uh but just the yes. matter of of intrigue you know we we take into account the idea of you are a martyr the king doesn't like it the queen doesn't like it Therefore, right. if you don't recant, you're going to be executed. It's almost never as simple as that in the English Reformation. There's all kinds of no. head games and intrigue and ways that people are trying to trap one another or extort false confessions. I mean, all of this is going on around them. Yes. I mean, in addition, this is kind of another level. <clears throat> we, we know that so often these when these priests or laymen were were arrested and and questioned there would be torture involved and the torture was to 
elicit more information about where else do you do you go to hide when you're a priest in uh, in England when you know it's illegal and and you're liable for death who else have you, what other priests have you helped if you're the layman what other priests have you helped you know what hiding houses places are there where where do they where are you uh helping all these priests and so yes there is that that other level of that it wasn't just simply arrest and execution it was usually arrest questioning some kind torture could be involved and then even this an attack by poison uh what i guess you could have to say it'd be it must have been the animus of the jailer's wife that that he she didn't even want to see these men suffer the a public hanging which of course as we've also said often inspired people and brought sympathy to the martyr uh, when they when they suffer especially so bravely on on the uh, scaffold so Yes, it is. It's a fascinating story. But the main one of the main things we see of it is that conversion of a young girl. And what a blessing. I mean, again, that, that providence, what a blessing to her to get out of service to a jailer's wife. I mean, a jail is not even today, I don't think is a wonderful place to serve, although there are many who do serve in our jails throughout the country and throughout the world. But to go into a Catholic household and probably be treated much better and have a hope for salvation and glory in her life because of the of this providence of the poison soup in a prison and so that i think that's one of the aspects of the story that's wonderful that is wonderful in fact it is pretty fascinating uh, and you know you note in your post on this that blessed thomas palisor was actually a venerable at the time that henry sebastian bowden father bowden yes. wrote his book uh, but he has since been beatified, and you actually have, and this is pretty cool, uh, in your blog post, some uh, excerpts from the remarks of Cardinal Nichols, uh, Cardinal Nichols uh, at Westminster Cathedral, uh, who uh, who reflected on these martyrs. Yes, because not only that, but uh, not only was the priest just at the venerable stage of, of the canonization process, but the two laymen hadn't been even proposed, I guess, at that time for beatification. And they were beatified with Father Palisor in, uh, by John Paul II in, in 1987. And so when they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of that uh, occasion, uh, Cardinal Nichols said that, that he, he noted that of the 85 martyrs, 63 were priests, and 22 were laymen. And so he's saying that, noting that, that it was the core issue for both the priest and the layman was the celebration of the mass, of the holy mass, because that's why the priest was there to celebrate the mass and the other sacraments. And that's why the laymen were there to protect him so that he could celebrate those sacraments, especially the holy mass. And so that's one of the points he makes. And the other point he does make real quick is that remember that, uh, the uh, wife was also uh, captured and and tried and condemned but because she might have been pregnant they thought she was pregnant at the time she was not executed now i don't know if she died in prison but both uh, pope john paul ii when he canonized or beatified this group and cardinal nichols mentioned that there were not many not not that many women uh, executed during this this era, but they suffered greatly because of imprisonment, loss of income, loss of her husband. She would be alone loss in the world, reputation. and so yes, all yes. kinds of things. Well, I so encourage Catholics people to go. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, Catholics suffered so much to be true to the Mass and to have the sacraments and protect the priesthood during Reckies in England. That's just the theme that we always have. Check out Stephanie's blog on this. Uh, Go over to sunrisemorningshow.com. Click over to Supremacy and Survival. You'll find Stephanie Mann and this story in greater detail. Until tomorrow, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Did you just...